Amen, amen. If you're just joining us, we are spending uh, our, our time over these next few weeks walking through the book of James, talking about a living faith. What does that look like according to scripture to not just have a faith that is declared with our words or, or, or insinuated by any, anything that we post, but something that's living and breathing inside of us, something that we demonstrate every day by how, by how we love God and how we love love neighbor. And so uh, uh, if you would join us, turn your Bibles to uh, James chapter 2, and we'll jump into the Word of God uh, on this morning. In 1994, one of my favorite movies of all time was released. Uh, Maybe you've seen it. The movie is Forrest Gump. Of all things, yes, it is one of my favorite movies. The movie follows the experiences and uh, uh, life of its namesake, Forrest Gump. Uh, it's a movie that is uh, shares both his trials and his triumphs. It's a movie that'll make you laugh for sure. Lots of amazing and, and memorable moments like uh, uh, watching Bubba share all the different ways he knows how to cook shrimp. Uh, down to some more somber and thoughtful and emotional moments, at least for me. His early years were particularly uh, challenging for him. For those who have seen the movie, you may recall how his mom would share uh, little nuggets to hope him along, as some of our older saints would say, uh, to encourage him, little nuggets that he would later share with other people that he met throughout his life uh, in the movie. One of those nuggets was, stupid is as stupid does. That is to say, a person is not stupid simply because someone else calls them stupid. But rather, the word only applies when people do stupid things. In the book of James, the writer is calling believers to mature faith and highlighting different aspects of faith. We've talked about the testing of faith. We've talked about listening in faith, the dangers of partiality in faith, and today I want to talk to you about the works of faith. James chapter 2, James is contending uh, that faith alone is not enough. To put it in Mama Gump's word, faith is as faith does. Making a declaration of faith doesn't necessarily mean that you have faith. It's what you do that speaks and affirms what has been spoken. If you've been around City Light any length of time, you've heard the words orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Putting it simply, orthodoxy is right belief that our theology or what we believe about God is sound. And orthopraxy is right practice, that how we live is a reflection of what we believe about God. We believe that the Bible affirms and Christian that rather we believe that the Bible affirms that Christian faith or saving faith is a combination of what you believe and what you do. We believe that where scripture declares the just shall live by faith, that it is not simply an abstract thought, that it is a truth statement and that what you believe should govern how you live your life. So what does faith do? As we walk through our text this morning, we'll highlight three works, according to James, that faith performs that demonstrates that it is indeed saving faith. 
Look with me this morning at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also it is faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 14 in the Amplified Bible reads like this. What is the benefit, my fellow believers, of someone who claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that faith, can that kind of faith, specifically, can that kind of faith save him? What kind of faith are we talking about? Faith without evidence, faith without works. The Amplified Bible gives us a response to this question in the same verse, and it is this. No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. Now, if the statement or question here is valid, that faith alone without evidence, without good works, is not sufficient to save, is this at odd with what Paul teaches in his writings? We don't want to camp out here, but it's an issue we do want to address because at no point do we want to make it seem that any part of God's word is inconsistent with another. In Romans 3, Galatians 2, Ephesians 2, and Philippians 3, we see Paul declaring that we are saved by grace through faith alone. But here's the distinction. Romans 3, verse 28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In Galatians 2, 16, yet we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So also we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. In every text, Paul refers to the law and says, indeed, we cannot and will not be saved by works of the law. Why? Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot be saved by works of the law because we are incapable of keeping the whole law. James echoes Paul in this in James 2 verses 8 through 11, the word of the Lord says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor. 
of the law. So Paul and James would agree that works of the law are insufficient to save. But Paul and James would also agree that there are still works. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, we have these words. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Remember Paul's words in Philippians. He talked about not having a righteousness of his own. He continues here in Ephesians and says, It is the gift of God, talking about salvation. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Now hear the next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here Paul echoes James in that we are not saved by works of the law, but good works should follow those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Saying that, in fact, God prepared those works in Ephesians 2 beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul and James are not at all at odds with one another, but in agreement, as all of Scripture is, because God's word is holy and without error. These are works that should accompany or follow saving faith. What does it look like? What does that look like? What does saving faith do? Our first point this morning. Saving faith loves neighbor and demonstrates that love through charity. In verse 14, the question is posed, what good is it, brothers, if someone says uh, he has faith but does not have works? What good is it? What, who does it benefit? I believe he answers this question with his next question in the next verse. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith without works is dead. The benefit of the works of saving faith is not for you. Yet again, another difference between the works of the law that Paul speaks of and what Scripture highlights for us here in James. The one who looks to the works of the law looks only to benefit himself, aiming to make himself righteous either before God or before men. While the good works that God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, walk in them, according to Ephesians 2, are what we see here in James are works meant to benefit those around us, specifically the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. This, according to James chapter 1, is pure and undefiled religion. Now, a question for you. Is this a principle that is consistent throughout Scripture? And the answer is yes. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger or welcome you and naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say unto you, if you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. 
Good works is the heartbeat of saving faith. And it's not just a letter or an epistle theme. It's not just a gospel theme as we see it both in Paul's epistles and we see it here in the gospel of Matthew. It is the heart of God and we see it throughout scripture, even in the Old Testament. Look with me at verses uh, uh, 9 through 10 in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. In the text in Deuteronomy, he adds to that list the widow and the orphan. Charity is a consistent theme throughout God's word and backs up the statement we see in James chapter 2, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Your life in Christ is meant to be a light pointing the way to Christ. How does your faith do that without good works? Faith is not merely something to be declared. It is something to be demonstrated. Imagine, if you will, if God simply declared his love. If, if John 3.16 ended with, for God so loved the world, where would be the benefit of the son being sent that whosoever believed on him would not perish but have everlasting life? We have access to God by grace through faith because God didn't simply declare his love. He demonstrated that love in the giving of his own son. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Even Christ, thinking not of himself, scripture says, but took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. The cross was not for Christ. The cross was for us. We broke the law. We sinned. We transgressed. And Scripture says the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. We benefited from his works. Who is benefiting from your life in Christ? What good work, what good works are you performing, not in an effort to be saved, but in gratitude for the life that has been poured out on you or poured out for you so that you can be saved? Faith is as faith does. If faith is valid, if it is saving faith, as James calls it, it should produce fruit in the form of good works. And if our faith is not producing fruit, then our faith is dead faith. Our second point, saving faith loves God and demonstrates that love through worship and obedience. In James 2, verses 18 through 23, we see these words. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from works, uh, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 
you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You have orthodoxy. Great. Let's see it. Show me your faith apart from your works, he says. And he paints for us a great picture of how important it is to couple right belief with right practice by giving us a shocking example of what belief looks like or right belief looks like in and of itself. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. And he gives you demons. Not only do they believe, but they respond. They shudder. Good theology or right belief about God or about who God is does not equate to saving faith. Does scripture give us an example of this? Of course it does, because God's word is consistent. Matthew 8, verses 28 through 29 And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. Coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way, and behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? The demons in the two men recognized Jesus, not by his flesh, They recognized him and declared him as the son of God. And not only that, they acknowledged that they understand that there is an appointed time for their day of reckoning with him. Their posture was one of humility, but it was not out of love for God. It was not one of worship. It's because in their theology, they know him to be the Lord of all. They have right belief but they don't have right practice. How do you respond to the presence of God? Demons shudder, we see in scripture in James. Demons cry out in torment, we see in the gospels. Children of faith worship. Children of faith obey. And this is the next example James gives us. For show me your faith apart from your works, we get demons. I'll show you my faith by my works, James gives us Abraham. Look with me at verses 20 and 21 in James chapter 2. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Genesis 22 lays out the details for us. God speaks to Abraham and tells him to take his son Isaac, whom he loves, to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which he shall show him. The purpose of a burnt offering is to make an atonement for sin. The text doesn't get into what particular sin God is instructing Abraham to atone for, But the hang-up, most assuredly for you and I, is not what God is instructing Abraham to atone for, but in who God is instructing him to offer. Isaac, 
the promised son, the son promised to Abraham and Sarah by God when they were well past their childbearing years. Abraham was 100 and Sarah 99. On two separate occasions, both Abraham and Sarah laughed at the prospect of having a child at their age. But just as God had promised, Isaac was delivered. And I'll share this to frame for us the weight of what God is asking of Abraham. Not only in asking him to sacrifice his son, but to sacrifice the son God had promised, the son that they had waited for. But Abraham, in obedience to God, takes the wood, takes the fire, the knife, and his son, and up the mountain they went. Scripture tells us that Abraham's words to his servants were that, uh, the servants that were with him, that he and the boy were going up to worship and that they would come again. So they go up the mountain. Abraham prepares the altar. He lays his son Isaac on the altar and raises his knife. Scripture says that the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, Abraham, lay not your hand on your son and do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son from me. How would you respond to such a request? Maybe God isn't requesting of you what he requested of Abraham. He's not requesting that you sacrifice your promised child. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice some time. Serve at the church. Serve a neighbor. Maybe he's asking you to skip the game so you can help a a friend or a neighbor move. Maybe he's asking you to uh, uh, give up your lunch hour so you can be a listening ear or to pray with a coworker. Maybe he's asking you to share your faith with an unsaved family member. The point is, as a follower of God, as a follower of Christ, God is calling you to something. Does your faith leave room for God's call? And when he calls, how will you respond? Because to simply acknowledge who he is and to fail to properly respond is useless. Abraham heard the call of God and responded in worshipful obedience. Does your faith move you to works of worship and obedience? With Christ being the final sacrifice for sin, we we are no longer expected to uh, uh, offer burnt offerings like Abraham. But rather, we are called to offer our lives Romans 12 and 1 saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Offering your life in obedience to God is worship. This is the kind of faith. This is the kind of life, rather, that demonstrates saving faith. Lastly, saving faith calls us all to worth and works. Look with me at our last few verses, starting with 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, 
Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I love that James follows Abraham with Rahab. I love that he uses descriptive words to highlight the contrast between the two. Abraham, our father, Rahab, the prostitute. For those who may not be familiar with Rahab, her story, her story rather can be found in, in Joshua chapter 2. She is known for having given shelter to the spies that Joshua had sent in to spy out the land of promise. Not only did she give them lodging, but when word got out that there were spies in the land, that they were indeed lodging with Rahab, and people came looking for them, she hid them until they can make a safe escape. But in the mentioning, but the mentioning of Ahab, rather, not Ahab, Lord Jesus, the mentioning of Rahab also reminds me of another character in our movie, Forrest Gump. It reminds me of Jenny. If you haven't seen the movie, let me tell you that Forrest was head over heels in love with Jenny. But no matter how much he declared his love for her, how hard, how long, how far he chased after her, Jenny turned away from him, determined to do her own thing. And she gave herself seemingly to everything and everybody except the one who loved her best. Later in the movie, after the lifestyle had caught up with her, she acknowledges her condition. She returns to her hometown and goes to Forrest, finding him in the same house he'd always lived in, and tells Forrest that she is dying. He simply responds, will you marry me? They have the wedding. Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan is there with his new legs, and you got to see the movie for that one. And Forrest, absolutely glowing with joy and pride, says to Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, this here's my Jenny. He was so excited. He was so overjoyed to have this woman standing by his side. And if you haven't caught it by now, Rahab and you and I are Jenny. We have all chosen to play the role of the prostitute and at one point or another in our lives have given ourselves over to things and to people rather than the one who loved us best. But like Forrest waited for Jenny, Christ is waiting to present us without spot or wrinkle to the Father. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Our worth family is not determined by what role we've played in the world but rather our worth is determined by God who so loved the world and demonstrated that love for us by sending his son. So yes, 
Abraham, our father, the father of our faith, had works. And even Rahab had works. And yes, you have works. Family, I don't know where you are today. Personally, when I look at this text, the person that I most identify with is Rahab. I know my story. I know where I've been. I know where I've I know what I've done. But I also see God's great love for me. I can look back over my life and see how he was chasing me and and running me down and calling me to himself, offering me the one who loved me best. Even though I spent all those years chasing after people and things that did not care for me, did not mean any good for my life. And I know now that his love is enough. I know now that his love indeed covers a multitude of sin. I know that Christ, or rather in Christ, that I am a new creation, that that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And it is because of this newness of life, not in an effort to earn it, but because of it, that I aim to demonstrate my faith through good works, through charity, through worship, and through obedience, and through declaring the worth of those who have been created in the image and likeness of God regardless of their past. My hope is that men might see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven, and I pray God help us all to do it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We give you honor and glory, Lord, that you do not leave us as we are, God, but you call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You call us, Father, to show forth the praises. And Lord, we can only do that because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Because he has taken that which was stained and that which was marred in the hands of the potter. And he made us through his own blood over again another vessel fit for holy use. And Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for those that are listening, Lord, that we would spend our lives. Father, not looking to earn your approval. But Lord, showing others through how we love you and through how we love them, that they too can have your approval because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, do it for your glory and do it for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us, family. We'll see you again on next week.